0: Well, this week, this past week marked one year since the COVID-19 pandemic hit our country. And there have been any number of uh, news shows that uh, sort of recapped the year, hitting highlights, talking about the amazing uh, accomplishments uh, of science, getting actually not one, but two uh, safe and effective vaccines created and manufactured. It's pretty amazing. Some of these news shows have talked about, you know, all the turmoil and controversy that this has created in our country. But the thing that that has struck me most about these reports has been the reminder that every one of the 500,000 plus people who died from this virus was somebody's mother, brother, cousin, aunt, uncle, grandmother, child, whatever, right? They're, They're not just numbers in a CDC database. They're people, people who, who mattered a lot to the folks who now miss them deeply because they're gone. People are important. This, this un, unprecedented, more Americans died this year than any other year in our history. It's reminded us that people are important. They matter. They matter to God, too. They matter so much to God that he was willing to leave heaven, come to earth in the person of his son, to seek out and save the lost ones of us. Well, this weekend is a kickoff sermon in a four-part series that Pastor Brian has designed that will culminate on Easter Sunday, and this series, the next four sermons, will focus on our fifth value and our mission and values statement, which is engaging the world. We engage our neighbors, the underserved around us, and the nations, sharing the truth of the gospel with love in action. So I'd like to get us started this weekend by looking at three stories that Jesus told that all make this one point, people matter to God. This is Luke 15, and if you have a Bible, you can follow along. This is the New International Version, and uh, we'll read Luke 15, three stories. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus told them, I think the them is the Pharisees and teachers of the law and the tax collectors and sinners. He's telling the whole whole crowd here. He told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. Here's the punchline. I tell you that in the same way, there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. Punchline. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued. You know that repetition is the mother of learning, right? (laughs) He's going to make his point. (laughs) Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now, in effect, I don't want to wait till you're dead. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, terrible timing, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a Gentile citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, But no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, this is stupid. That's the literal Greek. (laughs) Yeah, it's right there. You check it out. How, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? Here I am starving to death. I'll sit out, go back to my father, say, father, I sinned. I know I can't be your son anymore. Take me back as a hired hand. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion to him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, kissed him. And the father said, quick, bring the fatted calf. We're going to party. Bill Hybels points out that these three parables teach us that people matter to God and therefore they should matter to us. We know that these people matter to God because in the, in the very nature of the story, these three things, these, these three stories all have something in common. And they tell us something important about God and they teach us something important about our mission statement, our value of engaging the world. First, these stories tell us that something of great value was missing a shepherd had lost a sheep, a woman had lost a coin, a son, a father had lost a son. And in the very nature of the stories, the way Jesus constructs them, these things that were lost were valuable. They were important to the ones who had lost them. Now, here's the interesting thing that I noticed, I don't know, maybe for the first time, but it hit me afresh this time as I studied this passage. The context of these parables. The context is that Tax collectors, you know how they were regarded by the Jews, and sinners, whatever that means, were all gathering around to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and teachers of the law, the the sort of professional religious folks, the the pastors, okay, were standing by listening, and they were criticizing him, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And they thought that was terrible. But Jesus, you will recall, said in another place in his ministry that he had come for the express purpose to seek and save lost people just like those despicable, undesirable, despised, notorious sinners who were listening to him. Jesus told these parables to rebuke the Pharisees and teachers of the law for their hard hearts. Our value statement says we engage our neighbors, the underserved around us, and the nations Sharing the truth of the gospel with love in action. Well, love welcomes everybody, anybody, like Jesus did. Jesus engaged and welcomed absolutely everyone, including those who the religious people of his day didn't like, didn't approve of, tax collectors and sinners. And in the gospel accounts, we see that he also engaged people like lepers. You know, they are outcasts stay away from me uh, beggars nobody wants to hang with the beggars because they'll ask you for more money demon possessed people the guy is crazy don't get near him women definitely second-class citizens in that culture samaritans even worse gentiles even worse and even an officer in their occupying army a roman centurion i mean jesus what are you thinking When we think about all the people that Jesus readily welcomed into conversation, into his relationships, we have no excuse for not engaging and welcoming anyone and everyone. But right there, I think we may have a problem. At least I know I do. Because God has convicted me recently of my judgmental attitudes towards people who are not like me. And to be honest with you, I define like me in pretty narrow terms. I tend to be critical and judgmental towards people who don't look like me, or dress like me, or share my moral values, or share my political views. I need God's help to genuinely seek and welcome people like that. And there are all sorts of them in our culture, aren't there? I mean, we might think of alcoholics, drug addicts, homeless people we see wandering downtown, beggars on the street corners, people of different races, uh, people with gender dysphoria or AIDS. Some of these people might not be particularly nice folks. I mean, they may have really crude language. They tell dirty stories. They don't smell good. They may not cut, comb, or color their hair the way we do. I've been reflecting this week on why it's okay that the colors we use on our hair are okay, but green, blue, purple, and red are not okay. It's it's an interesting thing, right? Um, Yeah, these folks may have signs in their yards that we find offensive. Hmm. Got any of those in your neighborhood? They have earrings in odd places on their bodies. And they let people write all over them with indelible ink. I mean, They drive recklessly. They chew tobacco. They're not like us. And unless I'm mistaken, I'm not the only one who has trouble loving, welcoming folks like that. All of these people matter to God. He loves them all. He knows, he knows that many of the things about these people that turn me off and maybe turn you off are just symptoms of their desperate need for him. They're lost. They're missing, and they're valuable to him. So he doesn't let those external things get in his way of seeking them out and bringing them into a relationship with himself. They need a Savior, so the Savior's going to go get them. <laughs> Secondly, the people in these parables that Jesus told lost something so valuable that its loss warranted an all-out search. The shepherd leaves 99 sheep in the field, goes looking for the one that's lost. The woman, and Jesus says, he looks for it until he finds it. The woman looks for her lost coin. Long after dark, she has to light a lamp, keep sweeping the house, keep looking, until she finds the lost coin. Now, the situation with the lost son is a little different because he has a a free will, and the father wants him to learn a lesson from the consequences of his actions. But the father is anxiously waiting, anxiously looking for his son, scanning the horizon, sees him a long way off, and runs to meet him and welcomes him home. This theme of a search or the lost, comes up in other places in Scripture as well. And in Matthew 4.19, Jesus said to the fishermen that he had called to be his disciples, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Now, I had a seminary professor who said, the American church has read this verse, and we think it means this. You get a 55-gallon stainless steel drum, you set it up on the beach, you fill it with water, you get a little portable uh, megaphone, microphone, and you shout out over the water, the barrel is open, the barrel is open, and hope the fish will jump into the barrel. See, This is exactly what's happening when you drive by a church that has a sign out front and right below the name of the church, it says, all are welcome. Please jump in the barrel, yeah. But surely Jesus meant, and the fishermen who heard him that day would have understood that if we are going to be fishers of people, We have to go where the people are, (laughs) yeah. We have to search for the lost, like the people in these parables did, an all-out search. In the Great Commission, Jesus says, go, go make disciples of all nations. He said he came to seek and save the lost. Throughout the Bible, God is taking the initiative, looking for people, seeking to invite them into a relationship with himself. We can't rely on what's been called an attractional model of outreach where we think that we're just gonna attract people in. Look, I love our worship services. I, God bless Ashley, what a gift to us. And I come on Sunday mornings too and I love that kind of worship and I love Pastor Brian's messages but no one thinks that what we do here is so amazing, so entertaining, so fantastic that any, any non-Christian on the street would certainly want to come in here and be a part of this. Right? You don't think that, do you? This is meaningful for us, not for them. We have to intentionally go and seek them out to move towards people in love in an inviting and welcoming way, welcoming them into relationship with us. Now, I grant you this is a lot harder during COVID restrictions, but it's not impossible. And, and you know, this... 21 Days of Hope is a great way to start, so if you haven't already done it, please do that and do the little action steps that are in there. They're, they're simple little things. Some of them are, are talking about God's hope through us, to us, and, and it'll just nurture your soul. Okay? And others are opportunities to show God's hope through us to other people, give us some concrete things we can do to care for people, ways to share our faith story with them. It's great. Now, <clears throat> Full, full disclosure here, some of these things, some of these action steps, uh, involve social media. So if you don't do social media, don't worry, there's always an alternative given for us anti-social types. You, you, there's something there for you to do. They're, they're all baby steps, okay? but they're steps in the right direction, out, out, towards the people who matter so much to God. So, do that. Now, we know that the people in these stories matter to God because, first, they're valuable in and of themselves, and secondly, they warrant an all-out search, and third, when they are found, it occasions great celebration and rejoicing. The shepherd and the woman call their friends together and say, "'Rejoice with me! I found my lost sheep! found my lost coin!' The father of the prodigal throws this huge party to recognize the fact that his lost son has been found. It's it's great. Jesus assures us there is great rejoicing in heaven when just one sinner repents. Each one is precious. Every one valuable to God. All heaven rejoices. So as I was writing this, I got to this point and a very awkward question occurred to me. The question was, When was the last time a friend of mine came to faith in Christ? Partly through my prayers and efforts. And it's been a very, very long time. What about you? How long has it been for you, friends? Have you ever had that experience where a friend of yours, you prayed for, loved, cared for, finally place their trust in Jesus? If you've had that experience, you know how thrilling it was. You know what joy it brought to your heart. And Jesus says it brings joy to the Father's heart. Well, it's been far too long for me, and I want that joy again. So I'm recommitting myself to engaging the world with truth and love with people who matter so much to God. The key word in our value statement is engaging. Engaging our world. It means building relationships, connecting with others. It's been called paying relational rent or making investments in friendships. And like any investment, it can be expensive. It can cost some time and effort, maybe even some money. But this is an investment that will pay eternal dividends. This is called earning the right to be heard. There was a book on this subject called, First We Have Coffee, Then We Talk. In agricultural terms, this is cultivation of the soil, getting it ready to receive the seed of the gospel that we'll plant. So the principle is simple, develop relationships on natural, non-threatening grounds, and then in the context of that friendship, we talk about things that matter, including spiritual things. Here at Faith Church, we're using two words to describe the way in which we want to engage people. We want to do it in an inviting and welcoming way. And by inviting, we mean we are moving towards people to invite them. We're we're taking the initiative to, to seek them out, to go to them, like these folks in these parables did, to invite them into a relationship with us. And we want that relationship then to be a welcoming place a safe place, a place where they can be themselves, where they can ask questions and admit doubts and disagree, a place where they can pro- we can process life together, right? It's the attitude that we would have if we invited somebody into our home. We would want them to feel welcome, loved, affirmed, accepted, just as they are, right? But all too often, I think we approach people with an agenda we want to change something in them. We want to change their their political views, or their religious views, or their behavior, or something. Yeah? What we need to do is move toward them in a way that that invites them into a relationship with us, just as they are. Which you'll recall is the way Jesus invites us into a relationship with Him, just as we are. Yeah. Well, so how do we do this? How, how do we? How do we engage people in an inviting and welcoming way? Well, the 21 days of hope is a start. Here are some other ideas. According to Adele Calhoun, liming is the uh, the term for how relationships work in Trinidad, in the Caribbean. She says, liming is not an hour blocked out on my calendar for coffee with a friend. It's whatever you do when you see someone. Liming requires no agenda or purpose. Hanging out is its own reason. Now, Barbie found this word in a book she was reading some months ago, and when she first told me about it, I thought, I have a lot of work to do. Because A, I'm an introvert who is quite content being alone, thank you very much, and who finds making small talk exhausting, and B, I'm more task-oriented. So when I'm out on a walk or riding my bike, and I pass by some of my neighbors sitting out on their yard, I don't want to stop and lime with them. I want to continue my exercise. I've got something to do here. Yeah. And, the, <laughs> and the same thing is true. When I'm just bringing in the trash cans or I'm working in the yard or whatever it is. I mean, I, I'm, I've got something I'm doing, and I don't want to be interrupted listening to some talkative neighbor or trying to make some conversation with somebody who the conversation's going nowhere. And it's just, oh my. As you can see, I have a long way to go. Liming is the very sort of thing Jesus did all the time. He was constantly pausing, letting people interrupt him, pausing to connect with the people who intersected his life. And not one of them had anything to contribute to him. He was there for them. We need to follow his example. So look, if you are already a people-oriented extrovert, Good on you. Just keep doing what you're doing. You are golden. You're doing great and now you have a new word for what you're doing and you know that God loves it when you do that. Okay? And if you're more like me, a task-oriented introvert, look, friends, let's agree to be less selfish with our time because that's really what it is. Yeah. Let's really notice the people God puts in our path to be truly inviting and welcoming, because at a very deep level, everyone wants to be noticed, wants to be seen, wants to be heard, wants to be listened to, respect, wants to be given the time of day, right? That's what liming is, giving people the time of day. Yeah, and it's a great way to demonstrate that people matter to God. Another idea, right after Matthew had a life-changing encounter with Jesus, he threw a party for all of his friends, and this meant that in one house, there were a group of tax collectors and sinners and Jesus and his disciples. Picture a hardcore biker gang and the choir. (laughs) Don't you wish you could have been there to listen in eavesdrop on those conversations? Oh, baby, (laughs) that'd be great. Uh, It's a great way to mix the two crowds and they mixed them in a setting that would be comfortable to the bikers, right? Because they knew Matthew. He was a rich guy. They probably had parties at his house all the time. They were comfortable there, yeah. A Matthews party is any social event strategically designed to mix selected members of the Christian and not yet Christian communities. And some of those gatherings may have to wait until COVID restrictions are released, but hey, we can do a lot of them right now. Uh, One I wanna make sure you get on your calendar is June 19th. The Loveland Police Department is sponsoring a Loveland Community Night Out. They're encouraging you to have block parties, to hang out with your neighbors in the summertime, right? Six to 10 p.m. And if you go on the police department website, you can get a permit and they'll let you block off the street and they'll send a fire truck for the kids to climb on and a police cruiser and maybe a, a police dog. And if you're really nice, they might send a SWAT vehicle. Or, I mean, it's, it's time to lime. <laughs> That's what it is. It's great. Sponsored by the police department. I love it. You get have barbecue. Just barbecue, hang out at your house, eat on the patio or the deck, you know, it's outside, it's safe, it's okay. When everybody's been vaccinated, you can get inside for a card game. Card games provide lots of opportunity just for casual conversation. Uh, birthday and anniversary parties. So if you're, if you're having a party that honors you, you typically get to choose the guest list. Who do you invite? Just your Christian friends? Why not add in some other friends as well? Yeah. And the president tells us that we can have 4th of July, end of COVID parties. woo <laughs> Yes. <laughs> well, let's do it, for heaven's sakes. I mean, let's see if we can think of some creative ways to imitate Matthew and his desire to get the two sets of his friends together. Okay? Just a matter of inviting friends from church and cluing them into the opportunities inherent in the social setting. Okay? So here's the deal. If you get an invitation from somebody at church to come over to their house or do, something or do something with them, and they tell you it's a Matthews party, that's your clue. Come prepared to engage in an inviting and welcoming way with people who don't yet know how great life with Jesus can be. Your friends who invited you are not asking you to come and preach the gospel to them. They're just asking you to come and lime. When my mother got old enough that her legs hurt her to walk, she developed the while you're up approach. Whenever anybody in the room would get up for any purpose, she would quickly say, uh, while you're up, would you bring me a glass of water? Hand me that ashtray, whatever it was. See? yeah. And so, yeah, the principle is simple. We can find ways to do things with our non-Christian friends that we're already doing. Right? Most of us eat pretty regularly. We could have them over for a meal. Uh, Some of your sports fans, you like to watch basketball? Hey, it's March Madness, yeah! Well, invite somebody over. Some of your non-Christian friends, neighbors, invite them over to watch the game with you. There might actually be a baseball season this summer, and baseball is so slow, it is the perfect time to lime. (sighs) Throw the dang ball, for crying out loud. (laughs) Oh, gee, don't spit again, you know, Dude, just, oh gosh. Anyway, it's a great, great sport for liming. Um, or maybe you'd rather be outside participating in sports. Well, here's some that work really well for this. Uh, skiing on the way to and from the slopes and on the chairlift going up, lots of time to lime there. Uh, hiking, fishing, golf, and camping. All of these provide plenty of opportunities for conversation. Uh, Family hikes. Invite another family who doesn't know the Lord. Uh, Play dates. There's so many gay parks in town. Uh, Invite another family over. School sports. Sitting in the bleachers, liming with other parent fans. Right? You see the point. It doesn't take a whole lot of extra time in our schedule to begin to build meaningful relationships with people. We just have to be intentional. have to be thinking about it. And then there are the people we used to know. Social media makes this incredibly easy and comfortable for everyone, and lots of folks are doing it. They're connecting with old school friends, uh, people that they used to know from the past, people who are next-door neighbors or co-workers in the last place we lived, or people who were next-door neighbors or co-workers here and they moved away. You can hunt them down on, on social media. Barbie's an expert at this. Ask her how to do it. <clears throat> and, and then you just reach out and say, hey, been thinking about you, wondering how you're doing. See. What do you think they'd do if you reached out like that? Well, they'd be honored. They'd be pleased that somebody from their past made the point of of reaching out to them. And chances are, in that context of a conversation where you're sort of catching up with each other, it'd be easy to talk about what's going on with you and God, what he's doing in your life. Well, the opportunities to seek out the lost who matter so much to God are there. The question is, will we do it? Some of you will have heard me tell this story before. It's a story by Frank Voigt called The Life-Saving Station. On a dangerous seacoast, where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude little life-saving station. <clears throat> the building was just a hut and only had one boat, but the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea. With no thought for themselves, they went out day and night, tirelessly searching for shipwrecked victims. Many lives were saved by this wonderful little life-saving station and it became famous. Some of those who were saved and various others in the surrounding area wanted to become associated with the station and they gave their time and money and effort for the support of its work. New lifeboats were bought, new life-saving crews were trained, the little life-saving station grew. Some of the members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and poorly equipped They felt a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge for those who'd been saved from the sea. So they replaced the emergency cots and put in better furniture, and now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members, and they decorated it beautifully and furnished it exquisitely because they used it as sort of a social club. Fewer members were now interested in going to sea on life-saving missions, so they hired life-saving crews to do the work. The life-saving motif still prevailed in the club's decoration, and there was a liturgical lifeboat in the room where the club met. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews brought in loads of cold, wet, half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick. Some of them had black skin, some had brown skin, some had yellow skin. The beautiful new club was considerably messed up. So the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club, or the victims of shipwrecks could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the life-saving activity because it was unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal social life of the club. Other members insisted that life-saving operations were their primary purpose and pointed out they were still called a life-saving club station, but they were voted down and told that if, if they wanted to save the lives of shipwreck victims, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast, which they did. And as the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old, and it too evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was founded. History continued to repeat itself, and if you visit that coast today, you'll find a number of exclusive clubs all along the shore. Shipwrecks still happen in those waters but most of the people drown. Father in heaven, please forgive me because for 27 years I was the president of the club Forgive us, Lord, for the extent to which we have abandoned our purpose of being a church and become a social club. I mean, none of us are ready to su- shut down life saving operations, but I think few of us are on an all out search for the lost. God, we need you to give us your heart. We need a heart transplant. Can you somehow make the people who matter to you? matter to us so that we will launch a search for them and engage them with love and action share the greatest news in the world with them and have the incredible joy of knowing we helped save a shipwreck victim that we loved God please please for the sake of your joy and our joy we ask it in Christ's name